thank you for listening to Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. First, a reminder that this is a fan podcast and the opinions expressed here are just ours. We encourage all of you to visit trekkercomic.com. That's Ron Randall's official site dedicated to Mercy St. Clair. There you will find the latest Trekker news as well as a brand new page of Trekker material that he publishes every Monday. You will also find links to the way, other ways to follow Ron Randall on social media, including links for Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and his Patreon page, where if you want, you can choose to help support the new Trekker material. During this podcast, we'll occasionally refer to page numbers related to the story. Trekker has been published in various formats, including individual issues of a solo series, various specials, and multi-part stories in the anthology series Dark Horse Presents. For our references, we'll be using the page numbers from the Trekker Omnibus, which is a collection published in 2013 that includes all the Trekker material up to that point in time. We've chosen to use the Trekker Omnibus since it's widely available and reasonably priced. It's available in print in a graphic novel collection, or you can download it directly to your tablet of choice by purchasing a digital copy from either the Dark Horse Comics app or from the Amazon Kindle store. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the story Smuggler's Blues. As we discussed last episode, the original Trekker adventure was told in three parts in Dark Horse Presents. Following that run, Trekker got its own solo book, and Smuggler's Blues was the title story in Trekker issue number one, published in May 1987. So this issue of Trekker has special significance to us. Do you remember why? Oh, why? Tell me more. Oh, I I think you sound like you remember. (laughs) (laughs) I bet I do. Okay. (laughs) So this was the very first issue of Trekker that we ever bought. We bought this issue brand new off the shelf back in 1987. No way. That's not (laughs) true. That's not possible. Why isn't that? I'm so young. How could that be? Well, yeah, I'll <laughs> I'll give you credit for that. So we must have had a TARDIS or something like that that we used to go back in time. There but, you go. Yeah. So anyway, just to let the audience know, uh, we were we were youngsters in dating at the time, um, and uh, we had little to no money. Uh, we lived in a very small town that didn't have a mall, didn't have a comic store. The only movie theater was a single screen theater that showed second run movies and was only open on the weekends. Depending on which road you took to leave our small town, it was about an hour and a half to the nearest town slash city of any size. So there were three of them known as the Tri-Cities, Bristol, Kingsport, and Johnson City. So uh, we would occasionally have these date days when we would make that hour and a half drive and we would go and we would go shopping at the mall. We would go to the local comic store. We would go and see a movie. We would go out to dinner. Uh, we would even go to Bays Mountain Park, which mm-hmm. had lots of nice trails for hiking, and it had a planetarium, so that was always nice. Our comic book store of choice was Mountain Empire Comics in Bristol, and it's still today. It's owned and operated by our good friend, Robert Pilk, uh, and even though we moved away from that area a long time ago, it's remained our quote-unquote local comic shop because we have continued to order our comics from him ever since and look forward to that box on our doorstep each month. Now, I remember that we were actually familiar with Robert before he opened his store, and that's because he did film and TV reviews in the Bristol Herald newspaper, and I remember that you always enjoyed reading his reviews. Later, we met him when we went to that planetarium for a special Star Trek fan group event. I think they would meet monthly and actually use laser discs to show episodes of Star Trek on the planetarium dome. 
That was really special. Yeah, that was right. That was always really nice to do. So we would make that hour and a half drive up. It was on Monday nights, I think. We would drive an hour and a half on a Monday night to go and watch an episode of the classic Star Trek series with that group, drive an hour and a half back. But anyway, uh, we digress. So back to Mountain Empire Comics. As I said, we had very little money. So because of that, we generally just frequented the discount boxes in the back of his store where we could get lots of comics for very little money. So uh, sorry about that, Robert, but that's all the money we had then. But that particular day, I remember issue number one of Trekker was sitting on the display shelves, and that cover caught our attention. So we picked it up, flipped through it, decided to buy it, and we've been fans ever since. That is really special. I like thinking back about that. It makes me think also, talking about Robert and the Mountain Empire comics, he has an annual convention each year, and it's called RobCon. Anybody that's in that area would recommend that you try that out. It's a fun con. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great con if you're in that area. I would definitely recommend going to it. Now I guess we're ready to move on and talk about Smuggler's Blues. All right, next up is Trekker Smuggler's Blues. Want to mention again that we hope to make this podcast interactive, so send us any emails, short thoughts, comments, what you do like, don't like. You can contact us through Twitter or the Trekker Facebook page. And again, this will be great to spark up some conversation and share opinions. I agree, and we'll give uh, the contact information at the end of this show, and we'll also, at the end of this show, share the feedback we got from Episode 1. I do want to mention just one more thing. You mentioned Facebook on the Trekker page on Facebook. So Ron Randall has an excellent Facebook page for Ron Randall's Trekker, so we encourage you to visit that, and we have a Facebook page for Trekker Talk. So Yes, two different places you can go, so thanks. Right. Thank thanks you. for clarifying that. Well, let me tell you that Trekker number one was published by Dark Horse Comics and has a cover date, May 1987. And according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, it was actually on the shelves April 13th, 1987. This is the second Trekker story, and it appears second in the Trekker omnibus from pages 34 to 59. At Ron Randall's official TrekkerComic.com site, the story is listed as Trekker Book 2, Smuggler's Blues. The story is in black and white and is written and illustrated by Ron Randall with letters by Ken Bruzinak. Hope I got that name right. I mentioned earlier that the cover caught our attention. On it, you'll see Mercy standing atop the corner of a tall building with her cape fluttering in the wind behind her. She looks very Batman-esque, or I guess I should say Batgirl-esque or Batwoman-esque. Yes. There's smoke coming out of the smokestacks on top of the building where she's standing. The sky behind her is various shades of pink and orange and there are several skyships hovering in the background. It's twilight, and Mercy has her weapons out and is ready for action. I just want to mention here that our cover of issue number one is very special because we were able to get Ron Randall to sign it for us at a convention in the past. Yeah, that's a fantastic memory. Great. Smuggler's Blues opens with another of those great cityscapes that I like. They establish the setting well and always look really cool. I still think Retro Future is the best description I've heard of how this series looks. Think classic Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers serials. We see a hovership traveling through the skies of New Gallif in each of the panels on the first page until it lands in a dark alley at the bottom of the page. Two characters named Stravin and Mika are waiting in the alley for the ship. We learn the pilot's name is Brockman and he's carrying a crate the other two are obviously waiting for, and we hear them refer to a group called the PUA. Suddenly a cop emerges from the shadows with his gun pulled. He's going to take them in unless they pay the special tariff. Stravin tells Brockman the cops in New Gallif are reasonable and pays off the cop, and he seems ready to walk away. But Mika's been sneaking in the shadows and comes up behind the cop and kills him. 
A moment later, a bullet shot fires and Mika is down. The other two realize the cop had a partner, and a firefight follows, leaving the second cop dead and Stravin and Brockman running away with the crate. Next, we're at the police station, and Mercy and Uncle Alex are talking. Mercy knows the abandoned ship in the alley belonged to a smuggler, thus the title, named Stravin, but she and Alex don't know what might be coming their way. As Mercy leaves, a cop calls out to her. His name is Paul, and it appears the two have been dating, or at least he's been asking. Mercy puts an end to it and walks away thinking to herself that Paul is a nice guy, but a little sensitive for a cop. Next, we're in Volcano Alley. We're told it's a choking den of filth, but it's the kind of place where Mercy does her best work. Next, we're inside a bar, and the bartender looks particularly nervous. We see why. Mercy is hiding behind the bar with her weapon pulled. She's waiting for someone in particular, and dramatically puts her weapon in the face of a man she calls Lasmusi, another name to remember. Mercy is leading Lasmusi at gunpoint through the streets. She's telling him she knows about his friend Mika, and she wants information about Stravin. Lasmusi isn't helping, even if she does threaten to turn him in for the reward. Lasmusi is getting tired of Mercy's threats and starts to threaten her in return, just as a gunshot rings out and goes through his shoulder. Mercy finds herself in the middle of another firefight with two guys who have an advantageous position high above her. Still, she's the better shot, and she quickly takes down one of them, and the other decides it isn't worth sticking around and runs to his hover car. Mercy isn't letting him get away, however. She has an X-12 explosive projectile that she spent most of her last bounty buying. A pull of the trigger and the guy and his hover car go up in flames. Mercy finds that Lasmusi isn't dead, but the attempt on his life has changed his mind. He's willing to tell her everything to get back at Stravin. Next, Mercy is back home. Little Scuff is on the couch trying to distract her, but she's busy. Her narration tells us the PUA is the People's Unity Alignment, and she considers them terrorists. But she can't resist Scuff's attention for long and picks him up and smiles, something she seems to only to do in front of her little pet docks. Molly then barges in using her key. She has cash in her hand and tells Mercy they're eating out. The two are at a fancy restaurant, trying the latest miracle food from the government. Mercy is telling Molly that Paul won't take no for an answer, and Molly's happy to hear that because she likes him. Mercy quickly changes the subject back to work and talks about the 20,000 credits she can get for the smuggler Stravin. Molly thinks the amount of the reward means he must be very dangerous, but then she's surprised to hear Mercy doesn't really know much about him. She then chastises Mercy, the woman who supposedly trusts no one, for trusting that every wanted poster is always accurate. It's night, and it's raining, and Mercy is at Parkin Square, a network of tanker lines that have been abandoned for 30 years. Down in the tanker tunnels, Mercy dons the infrared glasses she acquired in the previous story and starts making her way through the tanker lines. We get to see her use her reeler to cross several areas. It's a neat little grappling hook zip line combination. She begins to hear voices in the distance, and when those voices stop, she knows Stravin and his men know she's there. Next, we get a two-page spread of Mercy leaping through the air trying to avoid shots from at least seven different gunmen. Thankfully, our heroine is agile, and as she points out herself, she has infrareds and they don't. Both of her weapons are out, and she's taken the culprits down methodically. Stravin tries to escape, but Mercy pulls out her reeler and quickly follows him through the twisting tanker lines. When she finally catches up to him, he's standing amid drums of explosives holding a detonator. He's also holding his smuggled contraband, which we now see are two small animals in a cage. He explains they are quillions, and they're basically food for the masses because they multiply quickly and are a near-perfect food source. The government tried to destroy them all, but he and the PUA wanted to use them to liberate the city from a government that controls the people through economic means. 
For the second time this issue, Mercy is chastised, as Stravin tells her she doesn't know what it's like to fight for a cause greater than herself. Mercy sees he's going to trigger the detonator and jumps down the next tunnel just before the explosion. There wasn't enough left of the body for an ID, so Mercy didn't collect the bounty. She keeps the news about the Quillians to herself, except for telling Molly. She can't keep it from Molly. Almost as if it's a confession. So that's the summary of Smuggler's Blues, the second Trekker story. What do you think of it? Oh, enjoyed it very much. I think the pacing of the action and the story unfolding was excellent. Yeah, I agree. As much as I love the very first Trekker story, I think this one was even better. It's just the pacing is smooth, the action's there, the story's great. I like the whole thing. And again, it draws me in quickly, like I want to find out what's going to happen next. So it really engages me, and I'm, I'm immersed in it when I'm looking at the art and reading it. Yeah, very nice. Well, let's do a page flip, and we're again using the Trekker Omnibus, so we'll start with Smuggler's Blues. Uh, it starts on page 34 with the cover that we already talked about, so we'll go on to page 36, the first page. A great opening panel, again, a, a cityscape, and I'm a fan of landscape cityscapes, kind of getting the layout of the world, and I really like the opening panel there as we get a hovercraft coming in, flying over the city. Yeah, it's a really nice opening page, and then when you flip on to the second page, you uh, you know get the character interaction. You sort of get you know the, what the cops are like, which we were sort of told last episode or last issue, but we get it reinforced here. A lot of gritty action. We get that Smuggler's Blues splash page uh, for the title. Really like the way he does his line work. It's really nice and good perspective. You know, just going all the way from the ship right in the foreground and to the background with the city and the guys running away. Good perspective. Yeah, it is really nice. And we flip over next and we're at the police precinct, which I think this is an excellent page that sort of shows when we talk about it being retro future because you get you have to credit Ron Randall. You look at some of the laptop computers they're using there and they you know, didn't look like what uh, was around in 1987. They look sort of like what we have on our desks now. So I like those flat panel displays and everything. But then you get you know the bulletin board in the background with papers and wanted uh, posters and everything still stuck to it. So it's just that wonderful little mix of future and past at the same time. And then you have that gorgeous center shot of Mercy in the shadows. I just love the way her head and shoulders are completely in shadowed and you get those nice little white highlights. It looks nice. We meet Paul for the first time here. Of course, if you haven't read it before, you probably don't know anything more than meet Paul here, and we'll not to look too far into the future, but we'll certainly see more of Paul as we keep reading these stories. He's the hopeful love interest. We'll see if he comes back. <laughs> then uh, we flip over to Volcano Alley. I love the description of it that I covered in the summary, and it's a great little shot of Mercy when she comes out from behind the bar. You know, she just, she has that gun and holding it in Las Moosey's face. I just, I like She that. looks tough and scary. I would be so startled if that that's what I saw standing in front of me. <laughs> and then, of course, Las Moosey, we just meet him briefly here, but again, he's another character to remember for the future. We flip on through a couple of more pages. We see Las Moosey uh, get shot. Uh, we see the nice little firefight here. I like that. It shows how talented Mercy is because the two guys have the drop on her. They were both up above her so they have a better line of sight but she uh, really takes both of them down in quick succession and the next page 46 is powerful i just love the explosion there on the bottom where she gets the last bad guy in the end yeah very nice then we move on to we get the little hint that lasmusi might be a mutant it'll be interesting because i didn't remember that element so it'll be interesting as we read read through these to see if that 
is followed through on. And I tried to figure it out. I was looking at his injury, and I don't know if it's just because he's up and walking and recovering so much faster, if, if that's what's cluing her in on that. Isn't it great that, you know, we've read these before more than one time, but, you know, you can't remember everything, so it's great to revisit the world. Very nice. And then you get, of course, Mercy back at home with her little pet ducks scuff. I love that scene. So especially when, uh, you know, it's like he's trying to get her attention, she's trying to do her work, but she can't resist him for long. And moving on over, uh, like, page 48 and 49, something I enjoy seeing here is... Mercy actually wearing street clothes, like she's not in her bounty hunter costume. She's wearing normal clothes, going out with her girlfriend, going out to eat. So nice, you know, slice of life kind of opportunity there. Yeah, I I like it too there at the top of page 49. She and Molly, you know, out for a night on the town. Now, uh, turning on to page 50, we get there uh, at the tanker lines. I I love this page. I, I love the effect of the rain. I love the lighting and shadows as she drops down into the tanker lines. I love the perspective. Uh, It's just a fantastic page. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And then we flip over to page 51. We get to see the reeler. I think we saw the reeler last time, but it gets named this time. And I I love that center panel on page 51. You just, he really captured the uh, depth perception there excellently. That tunnel does look like it just goes off into the distance. Yes, there's a lot of a 3D effect there. You can really I feel like that tunnel is long, and the, the, her drop, if she were to fall in the water, she has a long way to go. Absolutely. And then then we turn over and we get a nice two-page spread. I, I think of this page, whenever I see it, I think, where's Waldo? Because it's sort of like, can you find every one of the uh, bad guys that are shooting at uh, her because they're all over the place? <laughs> I see what you mean. And the further away they are, the smaller they are, you have to look. Yeah, yes. you have to look for all of them. That's the reason I say there were at least seven, because I can count seven, but I wouldn't be surprised to know that there were others. <laughs> I see seven right now. Yeah, so, so we'll have to study it's a that. Great, it's a great page. I like it. Then page 54 is another one of those pages I've talked about last time where Ron Randall just does a really great job of capturing movement because you get just lots of little individual panels here, but you could just imagine uh, Mercy twisting and turning and moving. All of these uh, poses are just great. We get the big reveal at the end of exactly what the smuggled contraband is, which, you know, is it's a, that nice twisting, surprising turn. And you get for the second time, Molly questioned her earlier, and now Stravin is questioning her too. You know, just what is she fighting for? Right. What's the impact of her work? You know, does it make a difference to the world or not? And then uh, as we flip on past that to page 58, we see, I like that top panel on page 58. You know, it's just another good lighting on Mercy's uh, face there. And then we cut on to Mercy at Molly's place. Uh, I really like page 59, the last page. We see... Mercy with just, you know, she seems defeated and depressed, down, falls asleep. She gets smaller and smaller as he pulls back, again, very cinematic. And then that very last uh, panel we get of the dawn of the next day. Beautiful, beautiful art. Can't say enough about just some of these individual panels, how they stand out, and then how they all fit together to convey the action, to convey the story. Yeah, I agree. So having done the flip through, we should talk about our favorite pages and favorite panels. What was your favorite page first? I have notes. I actually had narrowed it down. Let's see. The last page we were just talking about, 59. Love it. I love that, that page, the dawn rising on the city. But number one for me, this, this issue 
is back on page 50. That's the one you were saying a lot of positive stuff about uh, the shadows, the light, the atmosphere. There's rain. There's motion. There's that grappling reeler that she's using to climb down into the tunnels. So just that page offers a lot. It's interesting. Just like last time. I think I went first last time and then you were surprised that I had chosen some pages you chose. I'm, I'm surprised you chose some pages I chose because, again, I sort of had to count up from like three, two, one. So I think page 54 I mentioned earlier, but with all the action and twists and turns, it's very similar, I think, to the my favorite page last time that we talked about. But I loved it again here. But a couple of other pages uh, trumped it. And what I almost chose as my favorite page was page 50, the one you chose, because that is a, just a stunning page, everything about page 50 I love. But I think in the end, my favorite page, the one that won out, was page 59, the last page. So you mentioned mm-hmm. that as well, because uh, I just... The impact of that page is really amazing. And then I love that last panel because you sort of get Mercy defeated and down. And then, yeah, you get the dawn of a new day. So it's like, you know, what's ahead? And maybe things will change. Maybe they won't. But there's a little bit of promise there. I like that. Yeah, nice visual way to close that story out. After we talked about favorite page, what about favorite panel? Okay. I'm looking at my notes again. Okay, looking for my favorite panel of the issue, narrowed it down, 46, that one scene I mentioned where she gets to blow up the bad guy as he's trying to fly away and to escape. Love that panel. But I'm going to choose for my top panel of this issue, uh, the bottom panel on page 43. That's the one where she pops up from behind the bar, startles this guy with her gun, is confronting him to get that information. So just a very dramatic scene there that has some, you know, tension. Again, like I was saying before, I would hate to be in that guy's shoes. (laughs) Very nice. So looking at my list of my favorite panels, I think one of them I mentioned as we went through was page 40 there in the center right side. You get that very nice image of mercy and shadows in Uncle Alex's office. Also, another one I mentioned is on page 51 in the center, that view of mercy on the reeler with the distant shot down the tunnel and just how he captured that perspective, depth perception so uh, well. But I think my favorite panel goes to page 47. I love those three little panels at the bottom of Mercy with Scuff, and I just like that bottom right panel when she's smiling and holding her little uh, pet ducks there, and it's just so unmercy-like, or I guess it's that side of Mercy we rarely ever see. So Mm. I like that panel. I'll choose that one as my favorite. In each episode, we talk about significant characters from the stories and get to know them in this section called Who's Who. We'll try to avoid looking ahead, even if we know more from later stories, because we don't want to spoil this for anyone who's reading them for the first time. That means we'll revisit characters over time as we learn more things about them. So, of course, uh, Mercy St. Clair, our title character, thankfully, I think is in every issue. Uh-huh. Uh, we already know she's a bounty hunter. They're, they're known as trekkers in this world. She lives in Ontario Alley. It's a bad part of town. She spends most of her money on weapons for her job and food for pet Scuff. Scuff is a dox, uh, which is a cross between a dog and a fox and a cat. Next up is Alex St. Clair. He is Mercy's uncle and also lieutenant on the police force. While the police and trekkers generally don't like each other, these two obviously care about each other and sometimes collaborate on cases. We see Molly Sundowner again this issue. She's a shopkeeper and Mercy's friend. We also see her being Mercy's conscience in this issue. 
We get to meet Paul Clemens for the first time in this issue. He's the police officer working in the same precinct as Uncle Alex. And from the brief interaction, we know that he and Mercy either have dated or at least he's been asking her out. In either case, she lets him know in no uncertain terms that she does not think it will work out between the two of them. And she walks away thinking to herself that he's a bit too sensitive for a cop. Poor Paul. And finally, this issue, we meet Laz Moosey. He's an underworld thug. He and Mercy obviously have met in the past, and certainly while they're not on the same side, they seem to have a grudging respect for each other. We also get a hint that he might be a mutant. Welcome to our first edition of Trekker Transmissions, where we share your messages from the last episode. We received some great comments over the last couple of weeks and really appreciate those who took time to write in and share their thoughts, and we hope others will consider writing in the future. We think it'll make the podcast much more interesting to share thoughts and opinions of others instead of just listening to the opinions of the two of us. Yes, I know I'd rather hear someone else's opinions rather than yours. Hey, cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) So we received a great email from Brian Mulvey, who we learned has really great taste. Besides being a Trekker fan, he's also a fan of the fun comic Warlord, which was created, written, and drawn by Mike Grell early on, and later on by none other than Ron Randall. And because of that, we certainly hope to cover some of Warlord in the future. He's also a fan of the works of the great J.R.R. Tolkien, so we exchanged a couple of emails back with him. Brian wrote to say, I liked how you broke the stories down page by page and then summed it all up with favorite pages and panels. I got my copy of The Omnibus and went with you page by page, and it was a lot of fun. I like how you brought in Mike Grell, as I'm a huge fan of his, especially Warlord, which is where I first saw Ron's art 30-plus years ago, first in a backup story, then at the helm of the Warlord. They are my two favorite comic creators, and it's nice to hear like-minded people express that. I'm currently collecting reading Leonard Starr's beautifully drawn on-stage strip, which has been reprinted by Classic Comics Press. One item I noticed this morning, looking at the omnibus again, was the way Ron can draw fabric with the folds, such as Mercy's cape. That is something Leonard Starr was known for, his ability, and I can see that Ron is really skilled in that area too. So uh, that was a really great comment from Brian and a really nice email. We appreciate that he took so much time to write in. And I'm not familiar with Leonard Starr or on stage, so that's something I'm definitely interested in looking at, and I'm sure the others out there will want to do the same thing. So, Brian, thank you very much for your letter. We received a few Twitter messages from Eli, again, another Trekker fan with very good taste. He attached clips from Lois and Clark to his messages, which couldn't have made me happier since I'm a big Lois and Clark fan. Eli shared lots of enthusiasm for the show and really made me smile. Thanks, Eli. We sincerely appreciate you taking time to write and hope to hear from you again. We also received an email from our longtime friend, Chris D.C. It was really nice that he took the time to listen to the podcast and wrote in and sent us a few encouraging words. Thank you, Chris. Tony Greenoff sent us a very encouraging note after he listened to the show, letting us know that he enjoyed it a great deal, thought we did good work, and is looking forward to the next one. We also want to extend our Trekker thanks to those individuals who shared news about the podcast on Facebook and Twitter and other social media. First, we have to give a big, huge, great thank you to none other than Ron Randall, who posted about the show on his Facebook page and on Twitter. I think my favorite comment that Ron Randall made was the tweet that said, Holy Hannah, there's a sharp new podcast devoted to Trekker, you say? Indeed. We were overwhelmed to have the creator of this amazing world take the time to share some news about our little fan podcast. Thank you, Mr. Randall. Absolutely. That was amazing to us. Thank you so much. We also want to thank all the others who favorited, followed, or retweeted about the first episode. Those included Firestorm Fan, Eli, Brian Mulvey, 
Periscope Studios, Lord Summerside, Kirk, Comic Blitz, Josh Elder, Ryan Daly, Roger Bell, Mick Morona, Ben Robbins, Harold Comic, Comic Rocket, Courtney Page, Jim Molda, and Tom Rogers. Thank you all so much. If we've missed a name, it wasn't intentional, so please let us know, and we will rectify that in the next episode. It's time for our first Trekker Toast. This is where we recognize someone who went above and beyond in supporting Trekker Talk. Honestly, we had some great response for the first episode and sincerely appreciated everyone who supported us. But there was one individual who stood out head and shoulders above the rest. He retweeted us on Twitter. He shared Facebook posts. He messaged us whenever he saw someone else mention the show. So, we lift our glasses and give a thankful Trekker Toast to none other than the irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com and the Fire and Water Podcast. Thank you for your support, and we are happy to have you on our side, and we encourage all of our listeners to check out Shag's great FirestormFan.com website. We'll be right back after we play a couple of promos for other comic-related podcasts you might enjoy. Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino created Black Canary in 1947. She debuted as a masked femme fatale that kind of skirted the law, but pretty quickly she evolved into a civic-minded crime fighter. She has mastered multiple martial arts disciplines and unarmed combat forms. Her canary cry, when properly focused, is powerful powerful enough to punch a hole through a wall. Black Canary has, in one form or another, been part of multiple incarnations of the Justice League, the Justice Society, and Birds of Prey. I freaking fell in love with Black Canary, and I'm proud to podcast about her adventures in comics and television. Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... It's time for What's Up, when we talk about other areas of fandom besides Trekker. So, May has just ended, and that means the various TV season finales also recently aired. Arrow has been one of our favorite shows of recent years, especially the first two seasons of it we absolutely loved. Well, we've always liked the Green Arrow character, and especially loved the comic during the years that Mike Grell worked on it. The Arrow TV series captured lots of the feel of the comic from that period of time, and also uh, reached out to an audience beyond the traditional comic fan. But sadly, this third season of the show didn't 
live up to the expectations, I think, that I had for it. Uh, after the great first two seasons, and then for this third season, they had the main villain be Ra's al Ghul, which should have been a great villain. The actor who played him did a fine job, I thought, and the season got off to a really good start. But at mid-season, they gave us a very unrealistic and very unsatisfying cliffhanger. And then when they came back for the second half of the season, that main plot line just never really seemed to get going until this the last couple of episodes. So it left us very disappointed about the main plot. But thankfully, there were a lot of good side stories and secondary character stories in the second half of the season. So we got to see uh, Dinah Laurel Lance finally become Black Canary. We got to see Thea finally become Speedy. And we got to see some great character development with Rory Harper as Arsenal. So all of those scenes were good. Plus, on top of that, we got the excellent Brandon Ralph becoming the Adam. Uh, he was easily the best part of this third season. Classy and funny at the same time. We were already fans of his from Superman Returns and from the excellent series Chuck. Uh, and he was equally great in Arrow. And we'll be watching Legends of Tomorrow. And I'm sure he'll be great in that as well. And hopefully we'll get a good season four of Arrow because... Stephen Amell does a great job in the character, and he deserves a better storyline than he got in the second half of this past season. And the best news coming out of the fall TV news, in my opinion, was that Agent Carter was renewed. While I'm not a big fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I absolutely loved Agent Carter miniseries. As with Trekker, it has a smart, strong, and very competent heroine. The series was well-written, well-paced, and kept me waiting impatiently to see what was going to happen in the next episode. I'm thrilled the show was renewed, but also disappointed that it only got a mini-season instead of a full-blown season with more episodes. But so much better than being canceled. I should be happy for what I'm getting. Yeah, and Agent Carter was a fantastic show. I really loved it, too. And we also have seen the trailer for Supergirl, which looks promising. So we'll be watching that next season as well. And it fits in nicely here on Trekker Talk since Ron Randall drew some issues of Supergirl. So we might have to consider devoting an episode of the podcast to Supergirl this fall and talk about the issues that he did. I think that's a really good idea. It makes me think also of Ron Randall's other comics. And in particular, DC's big Convergence event that just ended, Ron Randall illustrated the two issues of Convergence Catwoman. So if you're a Trekker fan, you should really check out those two issues. Just as with Trekker, the action poses and perspectives he uses are stunning, and it makes this two-part story fun and very fast-paced. Yeah, I loved it. It's uh, Check it out, definitely. It's great. So, before we go, we want to provide you with our contact information. Please do let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. And, if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a good rating. Those are the only ways to help get the show noticed and hopefully attract more listeners to help grow the Trekker fandom. Who knows, maybe there will eventually be enough of us that Ron Randall can write and draw Trekker full-time, and that would be a great development. If you want to contact us directly, you can send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com or at facebook.com backslash trekkertalk or on Twitter at trekkertalk. Please use the hashtag trekkertalk and hashtag trekkercomic in your messages to help other fans find and follow the conversation. Plus, if you have ideas for other hashtags to help us spread the word about Trekker, let us know and we will share them going forward. Also, please visit Ron Randall's official trekkercomic.com website where you'll see a new Trekker page every Monday. Also at trekkercomic.com, you'll find links to everywhere you can find Ron Randall from Facebook to Twitter to Tumblr, and he often responds to posts on his Facebook page and on his Patreon page. So post to his pages and let him and other fans know what you think of his new Trekker pages. It would be fun to get some good conversations going about the new material. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next month for another new episode of Trekker Talk. Mm-hmm.
Trekker Talk is not affiliated with Dark Horse Comics or Ron Randall. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album Royalty Free Music Movies and Videos from the Royalty Free Music Club. Sound effects are taken from the album Cartoon Sound Effects from the Royalty Free Sound Effects Factory. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended.